Cheryl, it is my favorite time of year again. Do you want to guess what that is? Uh, so we're past Christmas. We're not in a bar. So uh, I don't feel like it's going to be the most celebratory of things. I, I do feel like that beginning part of the year promises the magic of, of some special things. And uh, why don't you tell us what that thing is? It's the time of year when I hope and pray that all of my buyers from last year take my advice and file for Homestead, but I'm pretty sure that some of them won't. I had to look it up to see who said it, and I should have just assumed it was Benjamin Franklin because everything is either attributed to him or to Mark Twain erroneously a lot, but it is in small part that nothing is certain except death and taxes. That's right. Yes, because here we are talking about property taxes today with homestead exemption. And then we're going to hop, skip, and a jump into April and deal with other taxes. But we'll deal with that when the time comes. Exactly. So taxes, property taxes specifically, is one of those topics that I've had a lot of questions about over the years. You've answered a lot of them for me. I've done a lot of research on my own. But I really think it is a topic that more real estate agents should be better versed in. And we're just not. I agree with you because I know a lot about them and I really, really very much try and give buyers good information. And when you're going through the settlement statement, there are certain things that will just come up, you know, so on a seller side, I'll tell them about how their escrow refund will work. And on the buyer side, when I talk about how the prorations work, I tell them, you know, what what's going to happen, the next bill that will come out, whose name will be on it and all of those other things. But here is what I firmly believe most buyers remember very little of what I tell them at closing they may get they may have the general memory that I was extremely helpful and I explained things but in terms of them remembering the granular parts of what I said I think in their defense they have a lot going on that day they do and if they have a really great real estate agent they've gotten some of that information already but it's just so much to digest. When you're buying a property, and even when you're selling, of course, conversely, when you're in that transaction and you don't do this for a living, there's so much to remember and think about. And if you're lucky enough to have a great realtor and a great closing attorney at the table, they're going to reiterate things to you. They're going to remind you. And then you're, of course, going to get reminders after closing. And one of those big reminders is the homestead exemption piece which of course we can do within about eight weeks after closing, right? As soon as that deed is filed. But that's not an easy thing to remind people to do several weeks after closing. It's much easier to remind them starting January 1 that they have until most of the time, April 1, and to send out those reminders at that time. Here in Georgia, it's going to be very consistent. And it used to be years ago that you couldn't file until January 1st. Right. So a lot of agents, and if you don't do this, I highly recommend that you do it, would always send out like their marketing touch. Their their thing that they did at the very beginning of the year would be a reminder to file for homestead exemption. That's right. Nowadays, a homeowner can file as soon as their deed has been recorded. And so they'll normally know that it's been recorded because we get we send them the original of the recorded document. Deeds actually get recorded for those of us who do e-recording, and I think a lot of attorneys have gone to that for a variety of reasons. It may be recorded within a few days. It may be a few weeks. But I think if you put something out where you were telling them, you know, a month after closing, then barring any issue, which you may want to know about, then at that point, the county will know that they are the owner of the property, and they'd be able to file for homestead at that point. 
And I love when I truly get proof that my clients have listened, either to me or to you, because when I do send out that January touch, and we can talk about that in a second, but when I do contact every single buyer that I had in the previous year from January 1 to December 31, and I say, this is your first of three reminders to file for your homestead, I love when there's those one or two who come back and say, well, I already did it because... The attorney told me at closing, thank you, Cheryl, that I could do it as soon as I got the deed in the mail, and I remembered that, so I did it. But because there's so much going on, they get so much junk mail after closing, as you said a minute ago, that should be one of your first touches of the year. And that's what we do. And we do it old school. We send them a printout with a letter and a reminder. Then we send two email follow-ups. We do that that printout, that you know snail mailing in the first or second week of January. Then they get the first week of February, so they're gonna go out next week. They get an email reminder, and then the first week of March, they get one more. And if you still can't remember to do it, then you're just gonna have higher taxes. And what I will normally tell the buyers at closing is you're going to get a piece of mail from us in the mail. It's going to be the original deed. At that point, you know you can file for your homestead exemption. If you get the piece of mail and you can't remember the thing that it was that you were supposed to do, reach out to your agent or reach out to me. Mm -hmm. It's okay that you, I know I was supposed to do something, but I just honestly don't remember what it was. That's right. And I would much rather someone think they have to do it multiple times, but you only have to do it once. So we tell them repeatedly, you only have to do this one time. I do love when I get clients who call and say, now that thing I did last January, do I have to do that again? But it's a great opportunity. Don't forget, you can reach out to your entire database because there are some situations where you might have to do it a second time. For example, if you refinance your house, if you add someone to the deed or you take someone off of the deed, if you have any sort of change to the financial structure of your mortgage that requires another deed to be filed. Exactly. If John and I own property together and we refinance and we don't change anything as to our ownership, then you won't have to refile for homestead exemption. But if we're doing our estate planning and we vest our, our trust into title, the counties used to not drop the homestead exemption, mostly because they just didn't keep up with it and they didn't notice it so much. But But we've had some transactions where when they sold the property, the county looked at it and went, oh, the trust was the owner and actually came back for multiple years of excess taxes based upon that. So you're right. You know, it would be a great touch that if you made any change to your title this year, then if you're not sure whether your homestead exemption is still in place, contact the tax assessor's office. You can go online too. Uh, they can they can Google, you know, DeKalb County Tax Assessor, Fulton County Tax Assessor, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And usually there will be a code up at the top that's uh, H1, which is regular homestead exemption. And I think there's a key somewhere that tells them what those things are for. Sure. So they can look or they can pick up the phone and call the tax assessor's office and just ask and confirm. So that's a great touch every year. And the other thing I've started doing just from a, a little tip perspective is... I actually have started reaching out to everyone who bought a house, not just, so for for this year, right, January 23, the letter with the printout and the big reminder goes to all of my buyers from 2022. But all of my buyers from 2021 are also going to get an email that says, if you 
got my reminders last year and you still forgot to do this. You may be paying too much in your taxes. So you need to either go back and check your records or, as Cheryl said, log on or call the county and see if you filed for your homestead. Because while you only have to do it once and you do have to do it before April 1 of that tax year, if you forgot to do it, that doesn't mean you've lost the chance forever. Right. You can now, if you bought in 2021 and you forgot to do it last year because even though your realtor sent you three reminders, you still didn't make the time to sit down and do it. I try to catch those people who may have missed it. So now they've only overpaid on their taxes for one year, but they can still now, before the April 1 deadline, go in and fix the mistake. And there are, and obviously this is going to differ for, you know, if there's uh, people listening in a variety of states, every state's taxes are going to be a little bit different. Um, but there are other exemptions that they may be due because they may have turned 65 in the last year and they weren't 65 the year before. So in that county, they may get additional exemptions where the senior exemptions come in. So yeah, I think it's, it's if you've had any change or you've hit any milestones, we don't give out as much paper at closing anymore. We do have a lot of information that is on our website and we have it particular by county Mm -hmm. for how to file and any other exemption information because you have those those things are going to be particular to the county whether there's any income restrictions that Mm -hmm. are in there. Uh, So every county is going to be a little bit different and then when you get outside of the state of Georgia obviously it's going to be completely different and and because it's going to be different then you can't count on a buyer who moved from DeKalb to Forsyth to know what the requirements are. You certainly can't count on a buyer who moved from California to Georgia to understand how taxes here work. Right. And we are known, one of the things that our buyers say to us regularly when they do move in from out of state is they can't believe how low our property taxes are, especially if they are coming from California, Nevada, Arizona, or the Northeast. Right. New York, New Jersey, Connecticut. Or states like Texas where they don't have an income tax and they're right. higher. Yes. Right. And so having an understanding of not just homestead exemption, which really is what we're talking about today, but of property taxes in general, having an understanding of how that works in our state for from county county to county is something that at least a rudimentary knowledge should be in every agent's kind of toolkit, right? Things that they're comfortable talking about. Yeah, so I think the first thing they need to know uh, that's particular to Georgia is that our taxes always run from a calendar year. Mm -hmm. It is always January 1st to December 31st. And even people who have lived in their property for 20 years don't know that because they don't pay them in January. The assessments tend to come out from the May to July standpoint. So that is what we think your property is worth this year. And we're giving you now a chance to appeal it before the bills actually come out. We start to see tax bills actually coming out in maybe July, definitely August. August through October, we are dealing with every day a new city tax has come out or a new county tax has come out. And so during that period of time, it can be a little bit hit or miss. And on, I think it's important on the settlement statement for the agent, the agent can look at a settlement statement and know whether the taxes have been paid for the year or not. And that's because on page one of the settlement statement, you're gonna see prorations. So if you see a, a and, and I know that the settlement statement, sometimes it's hard to tell what's a credit and what's a debit. I mean, I'm sure these documents make complete sense to CPAs and they make <laughs> no sense to anyone else. Uh, but 
if you see something where the seller is giving the buyer money from January 1st through the day of closing, that means the taxes aren't out. So when that happens, what we do is we look at last year's bill as our as long as that's a good estimate for what this year is going to be and we use a, an estimated amount so that the seller gives the buyer the seller's part of the money at closing and then the buyer is going to pay the bill when it comes out if it goes up or down there's an agreement both in the contract and in our settlement statements that they're going to reprorate between the parties it's not really supposed to the agent's not really supposed to have to be tracing this money and really neither is the closing attorney although I will assist with it and then if there is a charge from the buyer from the day of closing through the end of the year and a credit to the seller then that means that either the taxes are already paid with the county or if you look further down in the settlement statement we're collecting them at the closing and when we do that we will collect the whole amount from the seller and then we will give a credit from the buyer to the seller for their days i want to go back for a minute to a comment that you made regarding if you've kind of guesstimated right based right. on the previous year's taxes because the assessment and the bill aren't out yet that there is an agreement both in the contract and in the settlement statement and I think this is something that a lot of buyers and sellers don't really pay attention to I've sat in closings where you have explained it I've sat in closings where the attorney has not explained it I think it's glossed over a lot of the times and I think that there are a lot of real estate agents who don't who are not aware of this, right? right? But here's the deal, you guys. If I'm purchasing a house, and let's say my closing is in March, and the closing attorney has estimated based on the previous year's tax bill what those property taxes will be, and the seller has given me their proration from January 1 until, let's say I'm closing on March 15th. Okay. Then my tax bill comes out in October, September, whatever that looks like, and the taxes are substantially higher. According to to the contract that the seller and I signed, as well as the settlement statement that the seller and I signed, that seller should owe me additional monies prorated for their days of ownership right? from January 1 until March 15th. So if you're not explaining that to both your buyers and I think more importantly to your sellers, because if a, if a buyer knows that they could potentially be owed money and they're conscientious enough, they're probably going to remember that at, right. from closing. Make sure that you are talking to your sellers about this because that is a nasty phone call to get that you still owe money. Now we're in November. You owe money from your closing that happened in March. If your seller is not expecting that, who are they going to blame? They're going to think something went wrong, and the answer is nothing went wrong. I mean, because even, even at the part of the year where we can call the county and get an assessment, what we don't know is the millage rate at that point. Right. And, and the way that taxes are billed, we take what the assessment is, which is fair market value, and then they take 40% of that, and then you times it times a 1,000, and you times it times a millage rate, and that's how you actually get a tax bill. And you can use rough estimates of you know Fulton County is like 1.1% or something like that so some people can use rough estimates for it but we don't have a real bill until we know what a millage rate is so it doesn't mean that anything went wrong it doesn't mean that anyone didn't do anything that they couldn't do and I will tell people you know if you're closing on January 2nd and the and the seller is literally giving you two days even if the tax is doubled we're talking about like less than the price of a postage stamp right to, to communicate with one another 
So there's really only that period of time where you get so far into the year that the amount would be relatively substantial and then the ta- and then the time period when the tax bill hasn't come out yet. Right. The other thing that I would I would really really recommend that agents do particularly on any file where really only on the files where you have a cash buyer or you have a buyer who doesn't have an escrow account. And most of them do. So I think if you really even just focused on the cash buyers, you would you would be a savior in a lot of ways. Is that I explain to people at every closing, and again, they don't always hear me, <laughs> that the tax bill, if you close on March 15th, so Maura, you're the buyer and it's mm-hmm. March 15th and I'm the seller of your property. When that tax bill comes out, it's going to have Cheryl's name on it. It's going to have my name on it because I was the owner on January 1st. Right. And the county is going to bill it in the name of whoever the owner was on January 1. Why is this a problem? This is a problem because Mora may not get the bill because it may get forwarded with Cheryl's mail. It may get lost. She may not open it because it has my name on it. Mora may be a rule follower who doesn't open other people's mail. And And I tell buyers, if you get anything from a tax assessor or a tax commissioner that has the seller's name on it, open it. Go ahead and open it. Yes. It's not private information. It is things that are available online. But I also tell them, even if you don't get the bill, the county says you have to pay it, which means you can Google your county tax commissioner, get the bill amount, and mail it in. But we do see, because we see it on the refinance, or we see it when they're going to sell the property, they will, these are obviously not people that are struggling to pay their bills. They they did not pay their taxes the very first year they owned it, yet they paid it for the five years after that. Right. And it really is because they didn't get the bill that first year. And of course, now there's five years of penalties and interest, and you run the risk that the county is going to sell that tax lien and you're going to end up with a tax sale. And at bare minimum, that's going to be an expensive cost to redeem and get, get your property back. Well, and a great, a great best practice and a true value add for agents who do work with cash buyers, whether it is just the occasional one now and then or on the regular to make sure that you put in your calendar a reminder to reach out to those cash buyers when you know that the tax bills are getting ready to come out. And if you want to be an even nicer person, go ahead and Google the tax bill for them yourself. Right. You can, these, this is public domain. This is public knowledge. Completely. So look up the tax bills for your clients who were cash buyers. Download that bill, send it to them, or send them the link, or, or do both. So that you are sending them a reminder, hey, by the way, do you remember this conversation we had at closing? You may not get this bill in the mail. It may have the seller's name on it. It may get forwarded to them. Whatever the scenario is, this is my friendly reminder to go ahead and pay your taxes. And guess what? You only have to do it that first year that they're owners. Because in future years, it will come to them with their name on it. And hopefully they will also be on the lookout for that at that point. Yeah, I mean, and I have an escrow account. I still, as a course of action, have something in my tasking app where I will double check to make sure my own lender paid the taxes. Absolutely. You know, I will see, I'll get a notification when the money comes out of the escrow account. That's nice and all, but what's more important is that the county gets the money and the county properly applies it. Um, So it's, you know, it, it, it is important for everyone. And when I tell cash buyers or any buyer that doesn't have an escrow account that they really very much need to 
to make sure they pay their bill, I will give them a holiday reminder. So, you know, if it is Labor Day or, you know, if the kids are back in school and you don't have your bill yet, then go online and take a look for it and just pull it. If you have any questions, if you have any issues or concerns, you can reach out to your agent and the agent's always nodding like, please contact me. Please do. You know, I'm a source for you. Think of me as a source for you, you know, or you can reach out to me as the closing attorney and we'll do whatever. And with regard to the reprorations, we will, although the closing attorney really isn't a debt collector and so we won't go and and trace for the other side and make sure that we get the money. I will do the math for people though and years ago I got tired of plugging it into the existing file and jacking up the numbers and then having to restore it before I got out of the file or getting out without saving. I built a spreadsheet where you enter in those things and it actually is really nice too because then I can I, I can screenshot that and send them a picture of what it is and I'll just send it out to both sides, connect the buyer to the seller and say, you know, talk amongst yourselves and, you know, here's the payment details that you need to do. Right. I've heard several agents over the years, and, and again, I think it's it, it's a fairly small minority who don't realize that tax bills are public domain, that, right. they're, that you can find them online. And, you know, my recommendation would be if that's you listening and that sounds familiar, or if maybe you're a newer agent and you're looking for ways to, to add value or to increase the value that you give, not just to your own clients, but maybe in, in a, a farming capacity, oh, a absolutely. neighborhood that you farm, go on to the, the tax assessor's website and look up the addresses of the neighborhoods that you farm. And if you find some that don't have homestead attached to them, that's a great little handwritten note to the owner of that property if you believe that they're an owner-occupant. Maybe you just send them a letter or a handwritten note and you say, if this is your primary residence, did you know you don't have homestead exemption on it? You know, pull that tax record. When I go to meet with a seller for a listing appointment, I always pull down the tax bill. And then I can have a conversation with them. Maybe they don't realize they don't have homestead. Now, it might be too late if they're thinking about selling. Right. But maybe now I know that it's not their primary residence. Now we can have a different angle to the conversation. Are they an investor? Do they want to do a 1031 tax deferred exchange? It opens up the avenue for so many more conversations. But I also think it's a great touch to a neighborhood that you're farming. It doesn't just have to be people who bought and sold with you. Well, and you tell me, I would think that the vast majority of the neighborhood Neighborhoods that an agent farms, they probably also uh, live in the same county where that property is, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's going to be a little bit of overlap and things like that. So the other thing to remember, the other part of the touch is, you know, we have the homestead, which is in Georgia, January to April is your time for your filing of it. But you also get that notice of assessment later on. So when you personally get your own notice of assessment, so has every single one of your neighbors that's right and a lot of the neighborhoods that you're trying to farm so there may be and i'm sure there will be discussions uh this year i will be interested to see what happens when the assessments come out uh, whether there is a rash of tax appeals and i know that we've talked about that's actually a great topic for an entire separate episode will be and we do need to talk about that but but let's talk just a little bit about because along the same lines of appeals You mentioned to me right before we hit record, and I had not heard about this, but the Taxpayer's Bill of Rights 
And that's Georgia specific, right? It is. From 1999. And this is really interesting because for those of you listening, I know that I'm already thinking in my head of ways that I can turn this into some communication in my newsletter to my clients and my sphere of influence. But let's talk a little bit about what the Taxpayers' Bill of Rights has to say about an increase in value since we have seen that tremendously over the past two years in real estate and in home values. So part of what that Taxpayer Bill of Rights says is that if there is a large increase in what we call the digest value. So think of that as the total value of all of the properties that are located in that county. So if all of the properties have increased in value, the Georgia Property Taxpayer Bill of Rights presumes that the county will then roll back the millage rate. In other words, your taxes, just because the real estate market went insane right. and the, the values shot up because people were paying 10, 15, 20% over the listing price, obviously that leads to what I would assume a rise in the digest value. Exactly. That the county, instead of just saying, ooh, look at all this more money we can rake in, they should actually equalize things a little bit by lowering the millage rate? Yeah, that's what they call a rollback millage rate. And if for any reason that they they elect not to do that because they decide they just want the extra money, then the county, if they do that, has to hold three public hearings. They have to put notices of the increase in paper and they have to issue a press release saying that they've done it. Interesting. And the, the counties are the ones that are billing for all of these things. But these guidelines, some of these guidelines that exist are through the Georgia Department of Revenue because the counties only have so much latitude in what it is that they do. Right. So I think that it will be it will be interesting for us to see. I think that we should probably, in terms of the podcast that we do about the tax appeals, I think we should wait until the until our, our big counties have released their assessments because I'll be interested to see what discussions and things like that that we have. Because we have had years in the past where the county left the values high. They had so many appeals that actually violated state law and they weren't able to issue any tax bills during that time or they tried to just freeze residential properties and that was illegal in Georgia because that hurt commercial property owners more. So there were two years in a row where Fulton County couldn't issue any tax bills. In the first of those years, there was a delay in teacher pay for their last pay of the year, which they should have gotten before Christmas. They didn't uh, because there was legitimately not enough money in the coffers because the state of Georgia said you can't issue a tax bill. So I am hopeful that Fulton has learned their lesson, but it will be interesting to see this year what actually happens when it's out there. Sure. So I guess maybe it makes sense to go back to basics a little bit Mm -hmm. and define what a homestead exemption really is. I feel like we kind of, I jumped us right into the deep end and into the meat, but maybe we're talking to some new agents, um, maybe, um, or some consumers who have logged in because they saw property taxes and they said, ooh, that sounds like it's for me. So here's what I generally tell my clients about homestead exemption, and then I'm going to ask you to to fill in the blanks that I'm leaving void. Really, in a nutshell, what I say is that they can find a lot of information online, and some of it may or may not be specific to Georgia or accurate for Georgia. But at the end of the day, I tell my clients to think about a homestead exemption as a gift that the government is giving you by lowering your taxes 
because you purchased a residence that you intend to use as your primary. Correct. One of the things that I've talked about with my CPA recently is that the times and the ways that the government, whether it's your state government or the federal government, will give you a break on taxes, give you a decrease in taxes, is when you do the things that they want you to do. They're incentivizing you. You invest in certain industries that they want you to invest in. And one of those, of course, is the real estate market. They want you to own a home. Sometimes they don't act like they do, but they really do. <laughs> the tax code is written Somewhere to encourage in their heart you. of hearts, they understand that just as the preamble to the Realtor Code of Ethics says, you know, belying a stable society is the opportunity for homeownership. That's right. So it really is, it's a little bit of a gift from the government. They say, yes, we're going to tax you. We're going to tax you on your property ownership. But since you are living in it as your primary residence and you're not using it for investment, we're going to give you a little bit of a break on those taxes. But what are some of the nuts and bolts that a more curious home buyer, homeowner might want to know to fill in some of those blanks? And I think we really should be filling in their blanks because if they try and use Google in order to educate themselves, there's going to be, the word homestead is used for a lot of different things. So homestead could be used because it's something that protects from a loss of your property to certain creditors or to the U.S. bankruptcy court. It could be something that makes sure, you know, in some states, homestead may be something that, that makes sure that the surviving spouse gets property what we would call a year's support here in Georgia. Uh, just one of these things that makes sure that, that the surviving spouse will get property. But what we're really talking about is either the reduction or the elimination of property taxes. And by and large, I mean, it's, it is not a huge amount of money at the end of the day. So I don't want the homeowners to feel too bad if they missed it one year. They should definitely go get it because even if it's only a few hundred dollars, it's your few hundred dollars and that makes it important. But it is one of those things, the, the first, the basic homestead exemption that the state requires each of the counties have is that there's going to be a certain percentage reduction in the the fair market value of the property if it is their primary residence. And that number, there's a minimum by the state, but the counties can do more. And that's why you may have conversations with better and worse counties to live in for taxes, right? Mm -hmm. And then when you get above a certain amount, you do have some exemptions that may apply based upon income or veteran status in some counties. And then almost all counties will have a senior exemption. And that is because, again, 90% of our taxes pay for schools. So our seniors don't have kids in those schools. Right. And that's an acknowledgement of the fact that they shouldn't be paying for, for schools that they're not actively using, that the majority of the school tax money should come from those of us, you know, even though you, Maura, don't have any children, you're paying for the schools because sure. that's what we do. And those will start at different ages based right. upon the county. So some of them will start at maybe 62 in some small form or fashion, maybe 62 with a minimum, with an income requirement, because they're really interested in targeting the ones that need the assistance the most. Right. Uh, a lot of them will apply in some form or fashion by the time you get to 65. Usually by the time you hit in most counties 72, then at that point, 90% of the bill has come off. It is the part that is the taxes, and sometimes that's the entire city tax bill because cities 
unless you're in Atlanta, cities tend to be the smaller portion of the bill and then uh, just the remainder of it. So you're talking about a tenth of what the, what they would normally pay. And it's something that's also important to be looking at when you are showing homes to a buyer because if you're dealing, for example, with a buyer who has a reduced amount of liquid cash that they can bring to closing, right? right? If you're dealing with a property that doesn't have homestead exemption, and it is in City of Atlanta, the proration of those property taxes, especially property taxes that don't have the benefit of homestead because maybe the seller of that property never filed for homestead or it's not their primary residence, they, they've owned other properties, you may see a higher tax bill, which would lead to a higher proration of taxes at closing. But then when your buyer files, that tax amount will go down the following year. But also from the other perspective, your buyer might have interest in a property that looks like it has a ridiculously low property tax bill. Make sure that you're logging in and you're looking at that tax record to see not just the tax records that we can click through to on the MLS, but the actual tax bill and assessment that you can find on the county site. You can see if they have homestead exemption. You can see if they have senior exemption. Because if your client is not a senior citizen, they'll get the benefit of it with the proration at closing for the year that they're purchasing, but they will see an increase in that tax bill the following year. And the reason I say to look that up is not because it could make or break the sale. It's more that it could make or break their trust in you when they get a much higher tax assessment the next year and you haven't explained to them why that could happen. And and that is a conversation that a good closing attorney will also have with them. But again, they, they remember very little of what it is that I tell them. So I will try and make it conversational enough to where it triggers a memory later on. I will tell them, you have a ridiculously low tax bill this year. You should thank your seller right now for the gift of their tax assessment for this year. and But going forward, it will go up. And sometimes, depending, and it's very dependent upon who the lender is and how good they are. If they're doing it correctly, they won't have a huge deficit the following year. But if they don't do it correctly and they just collect based upon what it was the prior years, their payments are low and then they, then they get... Uh, all of a sudden notice that their escrow account is negative or their escrow account is short and their payment has to jump up even more than what the normal payment should be because not only do they have to pay for the higher level of the taxes that they weren't actually budgeting for, but they also have to make up for the deficit that they ran because they didn't have enough money in there to begin with. And it can take a couple of years for that to straighten out depending upon what month of the year that they buy. Right. And for anyone who listened to the episode right before this one, so our most recent one, we had our friend Brian Krebs with Alcovi Mortgage in, and we were talking about the benefits of using a really great loan officer. And that's one of them. Some people might see it as us sort of stepping outside the box or or not staying in our lanes, but I like it when not only am I having that conversation, and I know that it's going to be had also at the closing table with the closing attorney, but when the lender is is forward thinking enough that they look at the tax bill, they look to see, was there homestead exemption? Is there a senior exemption? Why do these taxes seem substantially higher or substantially lower than where they should be? 
based on other properties around it or based on the price point so that they're, the buyer is getting the benefit of this conversation three different times in three different ways with three different people that they trust. And if the loan officer has a question, I mean, you know, Brian will text me if he has a question about something. If the loan officer will reach out to the closing attorney and they have a relationship there so that, again, it's a team. I had a transaction and it was a it was a townhome development that had been the subject of mortgage fraud. Mm. And it was up 141 uh, close to the close to like Abbott's Bridge Road, mm-hmm. uh, for those of you guys who are local. And those townhomes were in the six. $650,000 range. But then one of the townhome units had been the subject of mortgage fraud and they had convinced a lender, harder to do these days, um, <laughs> but they had had a they had had a sales price of $1.2 million and a lender made a loan based upon $1.2 million. That loan was never repaid because the whole purpose of this was to commit fraud. And so the lender had to sell it as a foreclosure. So we're selling it as a foreclosure. They're selling it for about 650 because that's what the property is worth well the problem is what we have for an estimate for taxes based upon the prior year was 1.2 billion dollars as the sale price as the sales price because the county was more than willing to take that sales price and use it for the property taxes and so what we were able to do the loan officer reached out to me because this borrower wasn't I mean they were they were a little tight but they weren't excessively tight on how close they were to being able to afford it and afford their payment but if you double their tax obligation right they no longer qualified for the loan so the loan officer called me and said is there anything that we can do I said well, I can't make the taxes for last year be any different than what they were but what I can do based upon everything that I can clearly see mm-hmm. is I can write a letter on my letterhead that says all of the other properties around here are worth $650,000, that this was very much the subject of a mortgage fraud transaction, that the taxes should go back down, and if not, the homeowner should darn appeal those taxes right. and make sure that they go down, and their underwriter was willing to accept that letter from me to use a $650,000 valuation and estimate, and the buyer got the house. And that's a great example of a, a group of people serving that buyer, working together to find a solution for the problem that might have seemed insurmountable right. to other people who might have undertaken that task. Right. Another team of less capable, less creative problem solvers might have told that buyer, you're just denied for the loan and you need to walk away. Right. Also, if the loan officer had asked a pre-closer, a pre-closer, you know, uh, they would probably bring it to me. But you may have a pre-closer at a law firm who just says, well, I can't tell you the taxes are any different, where it was a real conversation between, quite frankly, a loan officer who didn't know me at all, but he was smart enough to pick up the phone and call and again say, is there anything we can possibly do with regard to this? And if, if, if you are an agent in a transaction and you see something crazy like this going on, the benefit of picking up the phone and calling your broker or calling that closing attorney or calling the closing attorney you know or calling a different loan officer to try and figure out if you were faced with this situation, what would be our options is an important lesson. It is. And it also goes back to our second episode in January, which is why you partner with a great closing attorney. Even if that's not the attorney that you can guarantee you're going to send all your transactions to, 
knowing that you can pick up the phone, knowing that you have that relationship. And on the lender side of things, having a lender who is going to be communicative. That's one of the most important pieces. Along those lines, I also want to talk about, I know we're we're kind of covering ground we covered in our last couple of episodes, but one of the things that's very important to me and a strong reason that I've removed lenders from my list of preferred people that I will happily refer is when they've pre-qualified a client of mine and they haven't taken the time to look at the specific property or areas where we're looking and they haven't factored in things like city taxes. And that's a huge piece of this puzzle because while the tax bill comes from the county, right? The assessment comes from the county. county. You need to know as the agent if the property is in City city limits. And you need to communicate that to the lender. And even if your client is already pre-qualified or pre-approved, or especially if they're already pre-qualified or pre-approved, if they've switched gears or they've been looking over a wide area that includes many different municipalities, before you write that offer, going back to the lender and saying, I need you to run these numbers. Because if they're if they were previously looking at a house that was in unincorporated Fulton County and now they're looking in City of Smyrna or City of Atlanta or City of Johns Creek or whatever that looks like for you. Right. Making the lender take the time to rerun those numbers because if those tax numbers change and you do have a buyer who's close to the top of what they can afford, that can sometimes push them over the edge. And if they don't find that out during due diligence or during that financing contingency period, that may cost them their earnest money. Just like buying a switching from single family home to a condo or a townhouse and adding in a monthly HOA versus an annual can completely throw off the numbers. Well, and and the agents should kind of should know the area that they're in. And, you know, in most of the counties, the city tax bill is a smaller portion. So what happens in, you know, Johns Creek or Sandy Springs or one of these is that they 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 carve out a piece of the tax money that goes to them that pays for local police or local fire or things like that, local services that they do. In some, like Fulton County, City of Atlanta, a full three quarters of that bill is going to be what goes to Atlanta. But we also need to be on the lookout. And I feel if I I positively say we're past this, we'll get a new one next week. (laughs) Absolutely. But we've had a lot of new cities. Mm-hmm. pop up mm-hmm. in the last five to ten years since 2006 i think john's creek kicked us off yeah so we we didn't have john's creek we didn't have the city of milton we didn't have sandy uh, springs or dunwoody sandy springs or dunwoody or peach tree um peach tree corners peach tree corners or sugar hill uh, is Sugar Hill may actually be older than Johns Creek. I can't remember. But you have all of those little ones. So you kind of need to be aware of what's going on because in, in theory, they're just carving out a portion of the taxes. But obviously, if you're getting services from a county and a city, it's going to increase the overall, your, your overall tax bill is going to go up. That's right. This won't necessarily impact every single buyer in every transaction just because they're buying a house in a city limits. Right. I'm really talking about the ones who are already so close to the top of what they can afford. The margins are so tight. The debt to income ratio is right on the edge. If you teeter that seesaw just a little bit, they're all of a sudden not going to be qualifying properly or they're they're going to get a denial. So keeping an eye on that and, and just understanding how to explain it to the client as well. And uh, we, we have had transactions. I've had plenty in the last 20-something years where a lender asked us to change a title commitment 
to reduce what the property taxes were and the reason being that the buyer can't afford to pay them. Well, it doesn't matter whether the buyer can afford to pay them. The county's going to charge what the county's going to charge. And technically, and by technically, I mean legally, <laughs> legally under federal law, under TILA, uh, the, the lender is required to give an accurate estimate as to what the taxes are expected to be in the next year. Uh, so a lender can do what it is, whatever it is that they want to, but I've got to have a good faith basis right. for using anything that is valuation. So I don't have to use last year's, and sometimes we absolutely don't use last year's because we haven't even talked about property taxes with new construction, where last year it was dirt and this year it's a fully completed house. Right. So we're using sales prices and things like that, but we, we really are, the lender is required by law and therefore I'm supposed to be representing them and doing it correctly. We really are supposed to be using what we think the property taxes are going to be. That's right. Well, I know we're going to do another episode once we get those assessments for 2023 on property tax appeals. Joyous. It will be joyous. And I'll just go ahead and tell everybody now that Cheryl will be driving that bus and I'll just be asking the questions because I am a ready, willing, and able student of property tax appeals. I'm ready to learn more. So we promise you that episode in the future. Is there anything else that you think we really need to cover other than consumers? Make sure you have filed for Homestead. You only have to do it once. Make sure you did it at some point, especially if you changed uh, ownership, something on the deed, et cetera. You refinanced. Agents, this is a great opportunity to reach out and touch your clients. Do it now. For most counties, please verify this, but for most counties, it's an April 1st deadline. What else, Cheryl? You know, you really should check out the show notes because we're going to have some links in there. Uh, we're going to go through them because some of some of the things that I included in our preparation for this, even I have doubts about some of the numbers that are on there. But again, these are the same things that your buyers uh, may get when they are Googling. Uh, but we'll go through and pull some, in particular, the things that are particular for our Georgia people, uh, the state of Georgia. There's a couple of links in there that have a whole bunch of sublinks and things like that where you can really pull some, some good information. If you go to uh, thomasandbrownlaw.com and under resources, we have homestead exemption there. There is a link to a, a, a lot of the counties that we service, which is like Atlanta Metro and a little bit further out than that. So a lot of the counties in terms of what the homestead looks like. So really do check out the the show notes and pull some of those resources so that you can use them. Definitely. We put a lot of work and research into not just the episodes that we record, but into those show notes when applicable. So I hope that you all are checking those out and making use of them. They are there for you. They're resources for Cheryl and for me, but we also want to make sure that you have them as well. And that's it. I mean, it's my favorite time of year, Cheryl. It's that time where I just gamble. I roll the dice. Is my client going to listen to me or are they not? Do they want to save on their taxes or do they not? And I guess that's where we can sign off. That's a wrap. Thank you so much, everybody. Make sure that you are subscribing to us and please rate and review us. We love to jump up in the ratings and get more listeners and you can help us with that. Please do. Bye-bye.